Hey, everyone, and welcome to the State of the Art Podcast with me, your host, Ethan Appleby. I'm very excited to bring you along as I dive into conversations with amazing people who are at the intersection of art and technology. Each week, you'll hear a different angle about how tech is bringing radical change in the way all of us interact with art. We have on artists to first-time collectors, as well as CEOs from some of the top digital art companies. We'll also look at the effects social media sites and crowdsourcing platforms are having on the art world and explore how other creative industries, such as music and fashion, were democratized using technology. So before we get started, I want to ask, did you catch our earlier episode with Patreon, the site that gets creators paid by running a membership business for their fans? Look, we liked it so much and we're so inspired that we created our own Patreon page. Really, we did it for two reasons. One, it lets us connect with you, our fans and listeners. And two, it helps us continue to make great content, get on better speakers, and find creative ways to continue this conversation with art and tech. So look, you can pledge as little as a dollar and become one of our patrons. To do so, check out patreon.com slash state of the art. In this episode, I'm excited to welcome Julia Kaczynski, the director of New Museum's multidisciplinary development program, New Inc. It's basically an incubator for creatives. New Inc. gives these practitioners the tools they need to build sustainable practices, launch projects that impact, promote, amplify culture by exploring new ideas at the intersection of art, technology, and design. And today, I'll talk to Julia about what creative entrepreneurship is and how New Inc. is propelling it forward, creative thinking in tech and what artists bring to the table as divergent thinkers, and how the training artists receive can be put to use in innovative ways outside of the traditional artist studio. So just a heads up. The recording quality of this episode isn't the best. We had some issues with Skype, but the content of the conversation is so good that we had to release it. So with that, please allow me to welcome today's guest, Julia Kaczynski. Educationally, you have a background in journalism, uh, but you've been really involved in the arts throughout your career. Like, How did that get started? Who fostered this interest in the arts and, and how did tech uh, come to the table? Yeah. um, I mean, the arts were always a passion of mine growing up. Um, I took art classes, drawing classes, um, ceramics classes, painting. Um, I grew up going to the museums, to the opera and the ballet. My grandma from the age of 12 would get us season tickets to the Met Opera, which as a 12 year old, I hated going to the opera on a Saturday and like falling asleep during like these four hour matinees. Um, but kind of learned to appreciate over time. Um, my family's from Ukraine. Um, and back in Ukraine, my mom was a music teacher. So, uh, grew up taking, you know, piano lessons. I don't know, just like the arts were such a big, very kind of dominant part of my upbringing and my family life in particular. And uh, when I first started engaging with journalism, um, this was in high school, it was uh, around music journalism. And so I was writing for a music magazine throughout high school and college. And then that kind of expanded into um, film and art and kind of the culture more broadly. Um, so I, I kind of 
in in college had this idea that I would go on to be an arts and culture editor at a magazine. That was kind of the, wow. the goal. It was very specific. Yeah, that that is very specific and at that age too. So so and then how did that evolve? I mean, I know I first sort of came across you and you had led a, an art and tech meetup in New York, which mm -hmm. kind of really took off. I mean, was that your sort of first thing at the intersection of art and technology? And Yeah. Um, that happened basically because my first job out of college landing in New York was at a startup. It was a totally random startup kind of trying to crowdsource the college guide experience um, called Unigo. Terrible name. Um, Is it still around? It was acquired by Wall Street Journal a couple years back. I don't know uh, whatever happened to it after that. Okay. but um, And that was kind of my entree to New York's startup scene, yep. which this is like 2007, 2008, you know, we're kind of, uh, having web 2.0 really come on the scene. Um, things like Tumblr, um, not even Foursquare, Dodgeball. Dodgeball. <laughs> it was Dodgeball before it was Foursquare. Um, you know, Gawker Media was like a really big focal point. Went to a lot of Gawker Media rooftop parties. And just kind of like, you know, was, was trying to understand this new community that I was being introduced to through my day job. Um, and I found it to be really welcoming and kind of kind of a heady space for, for a 21, 22 year old, because as opposed to the media space, which was very hierarchical, very kind of, you know, pay your dues before anyone's going to pay you any mind. Um, the tech, uh, community was much more open and curious and, you know, it was much smaller. Everyone was welcome. Sure. And you felt like you could have a hand in helping to build and shape something. There was this great sense of possibility. The dream. Really, yeah. But I really, you know, fell in love with. Um, but I think for me, you know, after the kind of initial, uh, charm wore off, I kept wanting to find a way to connect this back to something that I was really interested in and passionate about. You know, I, I briefly was doing um, social media strategy and digital strategy. And I was like, I'm not interested in trying to like, figure out how to sell people shit online. You know, how can I connect this to something that I can really feel good about? Yeah. And for me, that kind of led me back to arts and culture. And uh, a friend of mine was like, well, you know, I'm sure there's people at the Met or the MoMA trying to figure out what to do with this whole like Facebook and Twitter thing. You know, maybe you should investigate and see what's happening at this intersection of art and tech. Huh. And that just kind of opened up Pandora's box for me. So tell me about that Pandora's box. I mean, so you created, <laughs> you created this meetup and, and what happened? I mean, you know it. Yeah. So before I even created the meetup, I started researching. I started a blog just for myself, really, where I was kind of, I mean, as On a Tumblr. journalist, like it was, uh, I had a Tumblr, but I also had a more kind of long form blog on Squarespace, okay. um, which was a place where I was 
this is super nerdy. I was publishing case studies okay. about how different museums were using uh, technology, the wow. internet, really. We love um, nerdy. I, that's great. Is, <laughs> that, is that still out there? Can we? Can no, we, oh. no, 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 okay. yeah. Uh, I definitely Sorry, audience. not you, renew you, that domain. Yeah, <laughs> It was kind of embarrassing. Like after a few years had passed and then you look back at it and you're like, oh God. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, for me, a way to learn was to research, uh, synthesize and write about something. Um, and, you know, I was sharing these articles on Twitter and connecting with various uh, professionals working at this intersection of art and tech on Twitter um, people from various museums, places for uh, like the Lincoln Center, and um, you know, engaging in this in this dialogue online, and the meetup really came about um, as a way to deepen that research and and a way to learn with others. Um, the meetup allowed me to bring together a community of people and invite really amazing speakers who I was very learn from. Um, and they would say yes to me because I, you know, was essentially giving them a platform to talk about their work. And I think the thing that I didn't anticipate with the meetup that really caught me off guard, um, but ultimately was one of the factors that led to its success was, you know, I guess I had tapped into a need uh, in the New York City arts and culture space without knowing it. Um, around this time, there were a lot of people who were in newly created, um, you know, digital media positions within cultural organizations that, you know, didn't know what they were doing for, you know, I mean, they knew what they were doing, but these were new positions, new roles, um, without precedent, um, with, uh, without kind of best practices. Yeah. And the landscape was changing so much as well. Yeah. The landscape was changing really rapidly and you had all these people who are kind of, you know, making it up as they went along and figuring things out on the fly. And this community was a place for them to come together and, you know, share, uh, best practices, share resources, learn from one another, you know, talk about what they were seeing out in the field, and also to meet in person for the first time. Um, what I uh, was really surprised by in some of the early days of the meetup was, you know, here you had people who were interacting all day on Twitter um, as colleagues at various institutions, but they had never met each other in real life even though they lived in the same city. Yeah. So the meetup became kind of a, a place for these people to come together. And the other thing that was really important about the meetup, and I guess somewhat unique at the time, was that I was bringing together people from this cross-section of art and technology that I thought should be talking to each other, but for whatever reason, we're kind of siloed. Mm -hmm. um, so you had, you know, uh, people in the tech startup ecosystem who were creating products um, marketed towards cultural institutions or marketed towards art lovers or art collectors um, who are completely, uh, you know, not in touch with the art world proper. 
You had these cultural institutions, people who were working in tech roles at these museums and, uh, you know, opera and symphony and cultural centers. And then you had artists who were working with technology. And these were all kind of separate communities that existed uh, in these weird silos and didn't really mix. And in my meetup, I always programmed so that I had at least one representative from each of these communities. And they were all kind of talking around a similar theme and offering different perspectives, different entree points into the, whatever the topic was that month. Yeah. And it was a way to kind of bring these different micro communities under the banner of art and tech into contact with one another. It's, it's amazing. You know, had invaluable which is a platform for auction houses on uh the state of the art podcast and he said the same thing they they hosted like 50 different auction houses and these are people who have been in the industry for some up to like 40 years and had like kind of seen each other or brushed each other and never talked so he's mm-hmm. like this is the first time some of these people in sort of 30 years 20 years of like come like passing each other had ever engaged and still to this day in doing the this podcast one of the things that surprised me is is how few like that just seems so unique unfortunately it's an unfortunate uniqueness to the sort of art space and art and tech that that still happens and like even here like the guests i have on don't know of each other and it's like such a in some ways small community that they should be engaging so i I love that and i mean you know the fact that you brought them together i mean so what what came of it i mean are there sort of success stories or tangible things that you saw that you know you felt like did they start collabing on something or just doing a better job at engaging their audiences because they were learning all these tips from the tech side. Yeah. I mean, one of the um, collaborations that really stands out in my memory is um, we had a uh, curator who actually got her start on Tumblr. Her specialty is kind of digital art. Um, The arts program manager from Tumblr and uh, the Uh, I think she was like the digital media manager or something like that from Phillips Auction House. The three of them met at the meetup and then teamed up to host the first ever digital art auction ever anywhere at Phillips Auction House. Um, And this was in like 2012, 2013. That's amazing. that was a really, really cool collaboration that happened in New York. And then they also did an auction in London uh, following that. And, you know, these women are still friends, which is great. Um, you know, there were a ton of other collaborations, uh, you know, people who got hired, people whose careers really kind of almost took off um, because of access to this community. Um, uh, One of the kindest things that I've ever heard was, uh, you know, uh, a blogger, social media personality, very talented young woman, um, Kimberly Drew, who now runs social media for the Met, but is really like an art world superstar at this point. Mm. Uh, She used to run a Tumblr, I think she still does actually, called um, black contemporary art history. And, uh, you know, she arrived to New York, uh, 
after graduating from, from Smith College, started this blog and kind of, you know, found our community through Twitter, uh, started coming to the meetups, you know, really became kind of a core member of this little arts tech tribe. And, you know, she said to me not too long ago, actually a couple of months ago, that like, yeah, you know, arts tech really helped me get my start, helped me find my bearings in, in New York. You know, I really feel like where I am is in part thanks to the community that you built. So things like that, you know, are are the things that I really cherish about having built this meetup and this community, which sadly I'm no longer running, um, but it was an amazing thing that existed for five years and I think was, uh, you know, really needed at the time, maybe is less necessary right now, but at that time I think it played an important role. Yeah, it's evolved. Um, sure. Yeah. So, so from there, where what happened, or where did you go? This box, this Pandora's box, was opened, and <laughs> um, so you know, at the time, I was kind of entertaining a career change. You know, I was like, "Wow, this whole new world of art and technology." Should I go to grad school for you know, uh, museum like digital? archaeology or something. Uh, <laughs> and I was uh, offered a uh, paid internship opportunity, like a full-time paid, almost like a fellowship um, at MoMA um, in this newly created digital learning department. Um, the woman who was the uh, newly appointed director, Beth Harris, um, she ran this uh, really awesome podcast uh, called Smart History. And, uh, you know, I also had met her on Twitter. She had been to the meetup, spoken to the, uh, at the meetup. And so we knew each other through this space. And, and she was like, you know, I'm starting this new department. You should really think about joining. Um, I applied, I got it. Um, so I went to go work at the MoMA in this digital learning department. Um, simultaneously, um, my roommate and I decided that we really loved what was happening in the new media art space. Um, so artists who are working with contemporary art, we felt like there wasn't uh, enough of a of an outlet for this kind of work. Um, it was very seldom shown in contemporary art galleries or museums. Um, and we were like, this work is amazing. It's so relevant to our lives right now. Mm -hmm. um, we want to, uh, you know, expose more audiences to this work. So we started a pop-up new media art gallery called Blue Box. And so, you know, I was kind of going deeper and deeper into this world, um, continuing the meetup and, you know, seeing what it's like to work at a major museum like MoMA, seeing what it's like to experiment with curatorial projects and, and to, um, you know, create a platform for uh, artists who I thought were uh, really under-recognized. Um, and after about a year of this, um, I was, uh, contacted, um, via by the executive editor of vice at the time. <laughs> via Facebook. Um, I love that. <laughs> yeah. But by the way, is, is, uh, is the gallery that you said, the blue box still, still running? 
Um, no, uh, my friend and I kind of parted ways. I mean, we're still friends, but we parted ways on that project. Honestly, all of the side hustles that I had really fell to the wayside as soon as I started, um, working at new Inc at new museum, which, you know, became my whole world, uh, just because it was such uh, all consuming endeavor. Yeah. Um, but I like, it. I mean, it's like you started these, these, these pieces, which at the time, like you said, felt right. Like when you started the, the meetup, it was kind of like when, you know, social media platforms were growing yeah. and museums were going in. So then you connected them and now they kind of know each other more. And, and then you focused on, on new media and the blue box, which led to, to maybe new, but before there, I mean, you were talking about vice. And so you got contacted on Facebook, <laughs> which is, yeah. And so, what a cool you know, way to get a job offer. Totally. It's so random. Um, but basically, he was like, you know, we're starting this new platform on Vice. It's uh, about art and technology. And we're looking for an editor to come on board. And, you know, I've been asking around and your name's come up a few times. Do you want to, you know, meet for a drink and, and chat about it? Um, which for me was just kind of like... Uh, I felt like, like this was like fate or something because, you know, as you recall, I went to school for journalism, had these like very specific aspirations of being an arts and culture editor kind of, you know, went down this rabbit hole of tech and art um, in part because of the financial crisis of 2008, because at that time the publishing industry was in crisis, was in a tailspin. And, you know, I was like, well, looks like that job in journalism is just never going to happen. I better find, you know, a new career path. And in the pursuit of this new career path, um, somehow landed, you know, exactly where I wanted to be in a way that I could have never planned for in a million years. It came full circle. Yeah, totally. From from that dream when you were 12. I love it. (laughs) So, so you, so you then went on and created what was, what became the, the creator project or creators. Yeah. The creators project. Exactly. Um, has since been rebranded creators. Um, but, uh, When I came on board, um, this was the biggest thing that Vice had ever done. This is, you know, many people still cite Creators Project as the thing that really legitimized and put Vice on the map um, because it was a major brand partnership between Vice and Intel, a multi-million dollar, multi-year partnership that was, um, you know... uh, global platform. So I came on board as the global editor. So it's a great, our, great title. Yeah. I lo- at the ripe old age of 25. Oh my gosh. Um, and, uh, yeah, I had editors in five different countries working under me. Um, and, uh, uh, assistant editor in New York, um, and, uh, a suite of, freelance writers. Um, we were also producing weekly, uh, video documentaries on artists from all over the world, um, who were, you know, really groundbreaking artists from all fields, all creative fields, 
um, working with new technology. And we were also producing a cultural festival that uh, similarly traveled the world from New York to Seoul to Sao Paulo to Beijing to San Francisco and Paris. Um, And for this festival, uh, we were programming, you know, major uh, musical acts, uh, large scale interactive installations, films, panels, you name it. Um, And we were also commissioning a lot of new uh, interactive art and films and music. Um, It was really an amazing program um, that you know, to this day is among like the best jobs I've ever had. Sounds like it sounds like a dream job. So, I mean, what, what, what was, I mean, is there a specific story there or like, um, or, or something that you're most proud of in that, in that project? Um, gosh, so many things to choose from. Um, two things really stand out. Uh, one is, um, In 2011, the Creators Project partnered with Coachella to kind of art direct Coachella. Um, And so we did really crazy uh, projects there. Um, We did an art installation that also doubled as the main stage at Coachella. It was a project uh, done by a group in London called United Visual Artists. They built this stage um, that uh, would transform into a LED cube. And so in um, in between acts, the wings of the stage would close. Uh, It would turn into this like LED structure and this light show with a kind of experimental music score by uh, electronic musician Mira Kalix would, would happen. And it was like this like alien spaceship landed on the, on the playa at Coachella. Sounds. Um, And, you know, you heard people being like, whoa, like, did the stage just move or are these mushrooms kicking in? (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, it was like blowing people's minds. Um, We had other uh, art installations. My other favorite that we did at Coachella that year was this collaboration with um, a filmmaker named Jonathan Glazer and a a really uh, influential UK band called Spiritualized. And they created this uh, beautiful structure uh, in the in the desert at, at Coachella um, with these beams of light like streaming in from the ceiling. Uh, it looked almost like a church. It was kind of inspired by these um, f- photographs of uh, Grand Central Station, the light beaming in from the windows. And when you stepped into the beams of light, you would hear stems from this um, spiritualized track called Ladies and Gentlemen, We're Floating in Space, which is this beautiful song kind of set to uh, the, the uh, refrain from Pachelbel's Canon. And you would like step into the light and be washed over by music. And it was just this kind of very serene, peaceful 
like magical place. And people would spend like all day in there just like lying under the beams of light. And there was like a line stretched around the, the you know, just down the, the uh, field, you know, people in like 90 degree heat, just like waiting to go into this like art installation. And I don't know, like that was like such a memorable uh, moment for me. Um, the other thing that we did at Coachella that year was this um, LED balloon drop that was orchestrated by Chris Milk, who has since gone on to become a major player in the VR space, um, which uh, was a, a part of Arcade Fire's um, show at um, Coachella that year. And uh, we, we did a balloon drop from a crane over the audience. And then we also had uh, all of these balloons uh, that were massive. They were like these like big beach balls with LEDs in them. And when they spread out over the crowd, you could almost kind of do like light painting over the crowd. Um, so they were kind of coordinated with the music um, to kind of pulsate in time with the music. And, um, you know, half an hour before Arcade Fire is set, we get this call in the production trailer and they're like, we need all hands. Like, you know, you got to go in the back and like, you know, this ball pit, we got to like throw it out into the audience. Oh my gosh. So all of us in the crew, we all went into the ball pit and we were like trying to throw these massive beach balls that like you can barely wrap your ha- hands around out into the audience. And you getting these beach balls into the crowd and then you just see the whole crowd light up with these that is that's incredible (laughs) you know this is it's actually coachella is this weekend it's right now while we're talking and it's like i've seen enough friends on instagram there now you're really making me feel like (laughs) giving me a sense of fomo that the reason that i bring that up is because like i feel like that was a real turning point for these art experiences at music festivals. And yeah. now it's like, you know, a main stage expectation. Wow. And I think that for me at least, um, was when it really started to become, um, almost like a rite of passage for yeah. musicians and music festivals, that these types of art experiences were really something that they needed to invest in and something that audiences have come to expect. That's that's amazing. So normally, I mean, this would be like three episodes of people telling different <laughs> stories and you've literally done it all. And, and we're not even done. You're only like 25 at this point and like had your dream job. So what happened from there? And, and you're at Coachella throwing these lit up beach balls. And so what happened after that? I mean, uh, I, did, had, no, I had an amazing um, run uh, at Vice with the Creators Project. Um, you know, eventually the the funding from Intel started to dry up a little bit. Um, you oh. know, there was a change in leadership. They had a new CEO. They had a new CMO. Uh, the the direction became much less focused on these amazing experiences and kind of more organic, authentic uh, forms of brand integration um, and much more focused on, you know, traditional metrics like 
YouTube views and like eyeballs and things like that. And, um, you know, I, I found myself like three and a half, four years into this job with less creative freedom and less resources to do the kind of things that I was just describing to you um, than when I had started. And, you know, it, um, it became time to kind of consider, you know, do I move to a different role within Vice, um, which, you know, was growing at the time and was a very exciting place to be, or do I really kind of stay committed to this, um, this, area of expertise of art and technology that I've really kind of started to build a name for myself in and built a career in, um, and, and look for new opportunities in that space. Um, so for me, the choice was, was really clear. Um, you know, I had invested quite a lot into art and tech and I felt like I had more to, uh, give in that space and more to learn in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, um, Went part-time at Vice and was, you know, freelancing, taking on various side projects. Um, that year, I helped curate um, this conference called Future of Storytelling. Um, helped mm-hmm. uh, curate their programming and their art experiences. I helped art produce the holiday windows for Barney's. Uh, okay. along with some friends of mine who were working with um, who were working on their uh, windows doing these beautiful art installations and also did a art installation in store with Jay-Z. Um, wow, tell us about that. What was that? I like I just <laughs> casually dropped that, you know, did some window displays and this and oh yeah, and Jay-Z, you know, no problem. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't actually get to to meet or work closely with Jay Z, but uh, we the Barney's did a, a in store kind of curated uh, experience with Jay Z, and we did a uh, short film um, that was shot for it. Is kind of like artistic film shot in the New York City subway that we did wraparound projections of the. Um, kind of boutique within Barney's that Jay-Z um, did. So, you know, it was uh, the lead artist on the project, Joni Lemercier, did meet with Jay-Z and his people, but I did not. I was not that important. Um, but, Still you know, a fun project to be a part yeah, of. Yeah, totally a fun project. And for me, it was, you know, amazing to be collaborating with friends, friends who I had met uh, through the Creators Project, through Vice, um, and being able to help them realize their work in, you know, this new, uh, very public, very ambitious setting. Um, and uh, what else was I doing? Yeah, random curatorial side projects. Um, and what I really was trying to do, I really wanted to start a space. Mm-hmm. This was something that I had wanted to do uh, while still at Creators Project. We had often talked about, you know, maybe with Intel, um, with Creators Project, we were constantly forging collaborations between artists working with different media, musicians and filmmakers, visual artists and architects. Um, we were constantly forging collaborations between artists and technologists. And 
we were always doing this around new commissions or around the festivals, but we uh, felt like, you know, people really wanted to spend more time working together uh, in a physical setting together. And uh, I had always felt that having some sort of space where, you know, these different disciplines could come together and learn from each other and influence each other and collaborate and, you know, make new work together. That was really a dream of mine that never got realized. I had some thought that maybe I could do it on my own, but New York City real estate prices being what they are, that dream died out very quickly. Um, I'm sure you could have done it. You could have found raised money. Anyways, okay. And so, yeah, at this point I was like, maybe I need to go to a place like Berlin to do this. I don't know. Um, So I had kind of set my sights on maybe going to Berlin or Mexico City or some some other place where I could um, do this and, and live more cheaply and kind of experiment. Um, and I was actually in Berlin um, sort of scoping out the scene and, and thinking about where I might live if I were to move there um, and, and really seeing like, could I, could I really make a go of living here? When I got an email from the deputy director of the new museum saying, hey. Not, was it via Facebook? It wasn't via no, Facebook. No, it was via <laughs> Gmail. Um, and uh, her name is Karen Wong. Um, we had crossed paths a couple of times before socially. Uh, we had actually met at a, at a dinner party of some mutual friends of ours. Um, and, uh, you know, she knew of my work and I obviously was a huge fan of the new museum and of their affiliate, uh, Rhizome, which is a, a digital arts and culture organization, one of the oldest and best, uh, online. And, um, yeah, so she was reaching out to say that they were starting this new space, this new incubator, um, the museum, um, owned the building next door and they decided to dedicate the second floor of this building to this new program uh, which they were describing as an incubator for art design and technology and they were looking for a director and looking for someone who can develop a vision for what this program should be And we'd love to meet with you and and hear, uh, you know, what you might do with it. So I feel you've had like four dream jobs so far. I'm still trying to find my like first. I love it. You're like perfect timing. You're like funny. I was just in Mexico City. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's weird. I honestly like I've been incredibly lucky. But it's not true. I mean, it seems like you've you've driven all of these visions, you know, and then it just happened that someone else was thinking about it, and they're like, "Hey, who better to do it than the person who's kind of already leading the way?" So, so what what did that vision become? I mean, that vision became New Ink. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I had several. Google documents that I had started and abandoned over the years at this point where I was laying out ideas for something not 
too dissimilar from what I pitched the new museum. I think the difference with New Ink was, you know, merging my vision with the museum's existing plans and the infrastructure that they had already laid out and, mm-hmm. and the kind of sustainability uh, model, the business model that they had created for this new program. Um, but very much it was, you know, this, this idea of can we create a space for this um, new creative class, this n- new um, generation of artists, designers, filmmakers, architects, musicians who were uh, working across disciplines, who were experimenting with new tools, new technology, um, oftentimes working in a much more entrepreneurial way because the traditional art market or the traditional film uh, market or the traditional designs market um, didn't uh, recognize what they were doing. What they were doing was kind of too new for these um, markets, the the traditional ways of working that they uh, were used to. And, uh, you know, these people kind of had to uh, figure out ways uh, to build a sustainable creative practice for themselves um, and figure out ways to make a living, to, to make money uh, using their um, creative skills. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when they said the word incubator, I was like, yeah, that's actually exactly what the creative community needs because we never learned these skills in art school. We never learned how to, you know, negotiate contracts or build uh, budgets or pitch projects or, you know, work on a commercial commission from a brand. Um, But more and more, these are how creative people are making a living today. Um, So, you know, if the tech industry or the food industry or the manufacturing industry have incubator and accelerator spaces to help uh, new uh, startups get off the ground in these industries. Why shouldn't the arts industry have a similar uh, program that could uh, lend some support and and help develop these skills and strategies uh, and new models uh, in the creative sector. So that's kind of what we set out to build. I want to take a quick break to tell you more about our Patreon page. As you know, here at State of the Art, we want to build the art and tech community, increase the conversation, and we love bringing you guests from across the art and tech world. But the thing is, there's so much more we want to do. We want to continue to bring you great guests. We want to do live podcasts. We want to increase the frequency. To do that, though, we need your support. Visit our page at patreon.com slash stateoftheart. Pledge just a dollar and you'll get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes footage, and a chance to be our super fan of the week. And let me tell you, this is pretty cool. Super fans will get a shout out on next week's episode and a chance to show your art and tech thoughts, events, or whatever within our social feeds. 
So go to patreon.com slash state of the art and become one of our patrons today. Now back to the episode. That's amazing. And so are there ways in which you feel like it's different? Because in the tech space, we hear about incubators that, you know, it's different than an incubator. I mean, is it sort of like a four month thing and then you have a demo day? You know, how, how, how is it different or the same? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question because from the very beginning, our goal was to kind of redesign, reinvent, disrupt, if you will, the traditional uh, incubator accelerator model. Um, Disrupting the disruptors. Yes, Um, because for the culture space, you know, we're coming in with, you know, maybe different values, different priorities, different kinds of businesses that maybe aren't going to be, you know, 10x, 100x businesses uh, in a year or two. Um, We were much more interested in fostering long-term sustainable growth and businesses that would be around for the long haul. Um, So, you know, and we weren't uh, discriminating uh, between uh, nonprofits or social enterprises or, you know, growth oriented startups. Uh, we were kind of like welcoming them all, um, and really interested in, uh, seeing how these different, uh, ways of doing business can learn from one another. Um, so at New Inc, we structured it from the beginning as a 12 month program. We um, do not invest and we do not take equity. Um, So Mm. our uh, members, they uh, typically pay a monthly fee. And that way it's a little bit like a co-working space um, where they pay to be there. Um, But unlike a co-working space, they participate in a fairly rigorous professional development program that includes uh, weekly uh, workshops and seminars with experts that we bring in from uh, top firms, places like IDEO to teach, you know, design thinking and uh, how to do uh, value proposition design um, or, you know, lawyers from top law firms like uh, Kirkland and Ellis, who represent some of the, you know, top Fortune 500 companies um, to uh, amazing branding uh, companies like Wolf and Wilhelmina, who work with the Nikes and the Airbnbs of the world, who are coming in to lead, uh, you know, these small group uh, sessions with our um, founders, our artists, our designers, our startups um, to help them, uh, you know, figure out their path, their yeah. strategic plan, their roadmap. Um, Sounds better than any incubator I've heard of. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. Really? And uh, we also have an amazing community of mentors, um, ranging from the new museum staff, where our deputy director, our COO, our uh, marketing director, mentor, and you know, generously work with our teams, to uh, you know, people like the uh, director of T Magazine. Uh, and brand partnerships for T Magazine to, um, you know, various uh, entrepreneurs and founders, people from Artsy, from um, 
the Guggenheim, from uh, uh, former Rothenberg Ventures, um, who, you know, are able to mentor our teams and startups um, and help guide them in their uh, trajectory as they go from being creatives to being creative entrepreneurs. Wow. And what, what's come, I mean, what are examples of, of a few pro, you know, companies that have gone through your program? Gosh, I mean, every time I'm asked this, it's like, Where, yeah, you choosing know, your favorite child, which we, which everyone has. No, I'm kidding. No. Well, I mean, just uh, paint a picture. So for the audience, maybe yeah. give a, a, a variety, three different companies that kind of, you feel like are on different, some level of spectrums. Sure. So, um, I'll give three examples that I think illustrate the different types of creative entrepreneurs we work with. Great. Um, we had an amazing, um, brother, sister company, uh, that was with us in our first two years. Um, they are called, uh, Print All Over Me, uh, Jesse and Meredith Finkelstein. Print All Over Me is this amazing platform uh, where you can design your own uh, fashion and textile accessories. So you go on the site and they have hundreds of different silhouettes and, and items to choose from. Everything from silk dresses to jean jumpsuits to swimsuits to backpacks to, uh, you know, uh, sheets for your bed, you know, whatever you can think of. Mm. And you can upload any image, either your own design or your favorite photo that you took on Instagram or, you know, a, a great photo that you found online under Creative Commons. Um, and you can create custom uh, designs out of this. Uh, you can order those designs, get them, wear them, you know, put them in your home, whatever. And you can sell them. Other people can buy your design now wow. and uh, you get the proceeds. Uh, I think you get like 20 or 30% of the sale, um, which is great. Plus they work with uh, art and artists and designers on unique uh, collections. Um, so you can buy, you know, amazing limited edition designs from really cool cutting edge um, designers on their site. What's amazing about this company, about this team, is um, not only uh, is Print All Over Me amazingly successful um, and you know has over a million users uh, on their site, wow. and you know customers from all over the world, and amazing products. In their second year at New Inc, they this company is called Cocoa, and it is a uh, web-based uh, VR kind of design space. So it's kind of like a sandbox where you can very easily prototype 3D uh, virtual worlds. Um, 
with kind of drag and drop 3D models, right? And they basically repurposed some existing technology that they had on print all over me That's, to build Cocoa. You already have like serial entrepreneurs within your program. This is amazing. Yeah. Wow. So uh, they're just like an amazing team and an amazing example of a team that um, with print all over me, they chose not to take venture capital. Mm -hmm. um, they chose to uh, grow that themselves because they were uh, earning revenue and they did not like the uh, some of the terms that were being offered to them. So they were like, you know what? It's cool. We got this. We're going to do this ourselves. Yeah. With Cocoa, they did participate in an accelerator program, and I believe they did uh, raise some seed funding for that. So you know, they they did different approaches, and for us, you know, in contrast to perhaps an accelerator in Silicon Valley, both of those outcomes are success. Yeah. You know. We, because we don't have a financial stake in their success, for us, it's like, what's right for the company? What's right for the founders? You know, that's yeah. what we're really focused on. Yeah, not pushing them to go a direction that maybe they don't want to, to squeeze, you know, additional revenue, but rather creating exactly. a platform that helps creatives. Yeah. Um, cool. So that's my first example. My second example is a, a company called Micro. Um, this is another amazing duo. Uh, Amanda, who uh, was a scientist, she worked with NASA, I believe. Casually, yeah, as one Casually, does. Casually, yeah. Uh, Charles, who uh, is a designer who had an experience uh, working in the advertising space doing like experiential projects. Um, the two of them teamed up uh, around a love for science, um, uh, amazing experiences that bring people together and design and learning. And Micro is a company that builds um, tiny science museums that are designed to go uh, in public spaces. So uh, these are uh, about six foot tall, maybe three foot wide structures um, that feature uh, really engaging, very kind of whimsical, playful exhibits. Each one contains between 12 to 16 little micro exhibits. Um, the first one was called the Smallest Mollusk Museum. <laughs> and it used mollusks as a way to talk about evolutionary biology. The second one, which is uh, just about to be launched, is called the Perpetual Motion Museum, which is uh, teaching uh, elements of physics. And these museums, uh, you know, are kind of decentralizing the museum concept. They are designed to go in places where museums aren't, such as, you know, lower income communities, outer borough communities. Mm. Um, they uh, want to place them in places like uh, public schools and public libraries, but also in uh, more unexpected places, places like, say, the DMV or hospital waiting rooms 
or airport lounges, places where people congregate and um, what uh, Charles and Amanda like to call dehumanizing zones, where you're kind of just like, you know, waiting, you're on your phone, you don't know what to do with yourself, you're like, you know, not engaging with people around you. And they really think that these museums could be um, ways to bring people together, bring families together around... um, learning, uh, and around, uh, you know, being exposed to what they call fundamental knowledge. Yeah. You know, I've seen some people like kind of turn bus stops into like art exhibits because same thing, like people are standing around, you know, and I, and I love that. And it's, I just did a panel and and one of the panelists was talking about like essentially how, you know, we need to go to, to the audience, go to the people to bring things. And I mean, I think like Instagram's kind of done that with art because it's like people are on there and it puts in front of you and it's, in a way that you're already there kind of thing. And so I love that example of, of bringing it to people, bringing the arts to people and, and even more so in the dehumanizing zone. (laughs) Well, I'll ask you this question after. So, and then um, the third example that you're going to mention. Yes. The third example um, is actually, there's a few, but we've had uh, an amazing run of um, artists, filmmakers, designers uh, who are working with new technology, um, things like virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence. Um, One of my favorites is um, a group called A New Reality Company. Um, It's Melitza Zek. Um, who's a filmmaker, and Winslow Porter, who's a uh, technologist, producer. Um, They have had two amazingly successful virtual reality short films. Uh, The first was called Giant, and it placed people in uh, a basement with this family that's caught in a war zone. And you're kind of experiencing their uh, sense of of panic while also trying to comfort their small child as bombs are exploding overhead. Oh gosh. Um, the second uh, experience that they did is called Tree, and uh, it places you uh, into the body of a tree in the rainforest where you get to experience uh, the life and death of a tree from seedling to a towering canopy in the rainforest and um you know they're just an amazing duo who uh is constantly pushing the limits of technology uh and experimenting with new forms of storytelling um with new forms of uh creating meaning for the audience uh engaging all of their senses uh tree uses not just a sub pack, this backpack that you wear that sends uh, vibrations through your body, but also wind and, and, and scent and, you know, obviously this like uh, full body virtual reality experience where you actually feel like you are inhabiting this tree. It's just like any of us ever imagined we would inhabit yeah um and and 
it's been amazing just seeing this team grow uh, for and, and assemble these like 70 person teams to pull off these, you know, massive virtual reality projects that go on to, to like by South. Um, they're currently nominated for a Webby. Um, they just won some award for Time Warner, but you know they're they they're just killing it. They're growing. They're doing amazing things, and they're also doing it with a cause. So for Tree, um, they actually partnered with the Rainforest Alliance huh. um, to raise awareness about deforestation. So. I mean, these are incredible examples. And again, I have FOMO. I feel like you've got the best job just like working with these these companies. Um, but thinking about, it sounds like they range from sort of commercial enterprises to more like how art and tech comes together from a creative perspective. I mean, you mentioned one company, like they, they had a million users, they're raising funds, and then they raise funds for the next one. The others, I mean, how do you ultimately help them do this for a living, right? Because I mean, you want this to be entrepreneurs and and kind of at least be able to continue doing what they're doing. So how do you look at helping them with sort of alternative funding methods? Um, yeah. Than, than just I mean, venture capital. Everything from um, traditional grants. So helping them raise grants um, with micro. I mean, they just got a um, multi-year major, major grant. Um, I think, you know, that grant is going to fund their operations for the next three years. Wow. Um, but they also have a business model where, you know, they are selling these museums um, to uh, corporate clients, to, uh, you know, buildings that want to place them in their lobbies. Um, and that allows them to subsidize museums to place in schools or to place in libraries. So there is this kind of hybrid business model that they're able to uh, arrive at. Um, and, you know, I think it could have been very easy for micro to go down the commercial route. Um, in fact, they, um, I don't know if this is something that I can share, but I'm going to do it anyway. All right, um, good. We like that. Exclusive. <laughs> they, um, they applied to Y Combinator last year, and uh, they were invited to interview. They applied uh, originally to Y Combinator's nonprofit track, which they have now, which is amazing. But the Y Combinator folks said to them, we like you, but we really don't think that you should be nonprofit. We really think you should be for profit. And ultimately, the micro team was like, nah, that's not, that's not what we're about. You know, That's not what we want. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, for us, one of the biggest things that we really try to instill in our, uh, community is to really ground themselves in their values and their mission as they get started so that they can make these types of really tough decisions. Yeah. Right. Like if Y Combinator is telling you like, yeah, come on in, like, you know, but you got to be for profit. It takes a lot of resolve and a lot of like, you know, knowing yourself and, and what's important to you and what your vision is to be able to say, actually, like, 
that's not the way that we see our company growing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's I think what is really important to us. And and you know one attribute of success that we look for is how um, confident and uh, you know comfortable in their own skin are our entrepreneurs and artists um, because that's also important. That that is, and it isn't easy to to say no to opportunities like that. I mean, do you see? I mean, how, how do you see that? Like the, the funding changing? I mean, do you feel like there's more grants you're giving them access to this? I mean, maybe as a result of what you've done at New Inc., that more people are interested in kind of funding the arts in traditional ways and non traditional ways. I mean, there's obviously platforms like Patreon and Grandpa out there that are trying to help, you know, change this. I mean, funding the arts is hard. Yeah. It is really hard. It is as hard for museums as it is for, you know, some of the startups that we're dealing with. Yeah. In some ways harder because we have a staff of, at the new museum, we have a staff of, you know, 130 people, maybe more now, I don't know. And, uh, you know, a $14 million annual budget that we have to raise every year. Wow. Every year we have to start from zero and raise that money. And that's tough for nonprofits. Like that is how nonprofits operate. Um, And, you know, you hear a lot of nonprofits talk about, you know, the, the model of philanthropy that used to exist maybe 50 years ago, you know, 70 years ago is changing. And the younger philanthropists, you know, maybe aren't as interested in cutting checks to see their name appear on a wall. Um, they are much more metrics driven. Um, you know, you also um, have fewer and fewer government funding, not that that was ever a strength in this country. Um, but, you know, what limited amounts of government funding we had continue to diminish. Yeah. Um, of course you have, you know, amazing, uh, foundations, uh, like say the Ford foundation, the Rockefeller foundation, um, the, uh, what's the other big one? Oh gosh. There's like a few foundations that just like help everyone stay afloat. Yeah, It's really kind of amazing. Um, but you know, Outside of that, um, I think nonprofits and and the arts are really searching for new ways to um, yes uh, engage their their audiences and consumers directly. Mm-hmm. So through things like Patreon, through memberships, um, through ticket sales, through direct offerings, um, and also uh, trying to figure out how to work. Um, constructively with uh, corporate funders yeah. because corporate sponsorship and philanthropy uh, is on the rise. Um, however, it comes with different expectations and different terms of engagement than many uh, nonprofits and arts organizations are used to. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I know with, I mean, the, the modern day sort of aristocrats or, you know, the technocrats and, and like you said, I mean, 
it's there is this kind of tension they're less interested in, in getting their name you know above a, a building like you mentioned um and then also the brands and how artists work with brands which is happening more but like you said there's kind of this thing of like is it selling out is it not um but uh how i mean how have you seen the how, what i guess there's there's a lot i mean what have you learned and how has that evolved new ink over the past couple of years and, and maybe kind of like looking forward do you see there yeah. being any any change or or things that you, you see it evolving to I mean, I guess the main thing that I've learned is that the right partnerships will find you and oftentimes will find you when and where you least expect them. Um, when I came on board to New Inc., you know, we had a teeny, teeny, tiny budget that was really not enough to support the size of community that we were working with, um, you know, and, and everything that I wanted to do, uh, even, you know, from bringing in uh, 3D printers and a laser cutter and equipment for the community to, you know, trying to get more staff because we started out with a staff of three, including myself and a community of about um, 60 members, mm -hmm. about 30 entities, companies, whatever, but still, you know, a large community. And, uh, you know, that was, we needed to grow. Um, and so I set about trying to find, you know, corporate sponsors, philanthropists, whatever, fundraising, just like going hard. And I feel like I chased my tail for so long or maybe not my tail chased like opportunities that ultimately were not the right fit were not the right opportunity you're kind of trying to like align yourself with somebody else's agenda and budget and you know uh key objectives and whatever and you'll spend months and months and months trying to build and cultivate this relationship that oftentimes never really materializes. And then out of the blue, this other thing shows up and it happens within the span of a month because that partnership is the right partner. Yeah, Your interests are aligned, your values are aligned, and they're ready to go they're like they want this they don't need convincing they don't need you to like sell it to them yeah um, and that's so, uh, that can be so true in i mean anything you know it's like it should be it's easy when it's organic and natural yeah and that's how it should feel i mean that's not to say that like i don't continue to try to like you know cultivate these these partnerships um, but they continue to elude me most of the time, you know, yeah. and the ones that, that do come through continue to be these, like, these things that happen much more organically. But I, I mean, I think that's right. Like you need to experiment, you need to try, you need yeah. to put things out there. It's just that right. then, you know, it's like, if it doesn't click kind of quickly, then, then you move on. Yeah. Um, what's, what, I mean, you know, it's incredible. Like I, I'm just, I feel like you should be running this podcast because you've like done it all and you, you've driven, you know, so many different ideas from inception to reality. What, I mean, 
when you think of like art and technology, I mean, how have you seen it? It's a broad question. Like, how have you seen it evolve? And where do you see, I mean, you know, where do you see it going? There's been a lot of like, I mean, sort of the art and tech space, a lot of companies kind of like you mentioned Artsy earlier and Pedalate and others that have popped up and, and ones that have come out of your incubator. I mean, how do you see this space um, changing and what are you most excited about kind of in the next four years or, or not excited about? I mean, are there areas that you think aren't working well? Yeah. Um, this is a really big question. It is a big question. I mean, um, as far as art and technology goes, I feel like in the span of my ten-year career in this yeah, space, yeah, I mean, you've really um, pioneered it. Pioneered it. Like, I mean, you've seen it from kind of the early days from when sort of technology and social media was popping up to now. You know, where it's thinking of AR and VR and and everything and creating an incubator space. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, but you know, you are, you're kind of setting this vision. It seems like you have, I feel like we should just follow you and that's where, that's where this space is going to go. But like, how do you see it evolving? What are you excited about? Where, where do you see resistance? Um, what obstacles? I mean, I think we are seeing um, more of an embrace of digital born art by that. I mean, you know, art that, uh, is say software based or uh, you know using technology in order to create art, not just like you know something that's like commenting on technology. Yeah. Um, so I think we are seeing more of that. Um, the collector market is still quite small and kind of slow. Uh, to adopt this this new art form, but it's picking up, mm-hmm. and I think in part uh, the the pervasiveness of screens in our lives, um, and you know of technology in the the headlines, and you know really kind of shaping um, culture and society is really contributing to curators, gallerists, um, and collectors and, and festivals, uh, becoming much more interested in this art form. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also seeing, um, you know, a whole suite of different companies and, and services, uh, spring up in support of that, as well as some new, uh, art organizations and institutions. Um, so everything from currently at new, new Inc, one of the projects that we have is called Demoda, the digital museum of digital art. Um, they're in the process of incorporating as a nonprofit, but this was an artist led project uh, which is it's an entirely virtual reality museum mm-hmm. where he's been commissioning artists to create virtual reality installations wow. that he's placed within this virtual museum. That's amazing. So things like that are emerging and are you know being shown uh, at art fairs and festivals and cultural institutions. Um, you know you have uh, all of the various digital screen companies happening. I'm hopeful that one of them will finally take off. Yeah. You know, every I've seen them all. I've I've been following them all for for many many years 
you know, from, from the electric objects to the murals to the, uh, God, what's the other one called? Depict. Yes. I've been following them all. I'm, I'm hoping that one of them finally like figures it out. Um, then there's, you know, the kind of cloud storage, digital art providers like Neo, uh, subscription digital art services like uh, Sedition. Um, you know, there's just like so many in that space um, that have been around for varying lengths of time yeah. and have evolved, you know, over time, have had to like make various pivots. Um, I don't know how well they're doing uh, in terms of their uh, market size and, you know, their ability to earn revenue. Um, but the fact that they're still around, I guess, bodes well. You know, you have things like Artsy, which last year raised another $50 million. Um, again, that's, I'm really, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really rooting for, for Carter and the team. I met Carter back when I was working at MoMA. He reached out to me out of the blue because he found my meetup and he read the mission of my meetup, which was basically to like to democratize the arts and to bring like art and and digital culture closer together. And he was like, yes, that's what I want too. And like, here's what I'm doing. And, you know, we met and I've been following Artsy for a long time. I have no idea what their business model is. Zero I think their editorial platform is great. Yeah. I think they seem to be, you know, having some success with, you know, lead generation of art sales uh, and auctions and things like that. Um, you know, I, I really hope that they succeed. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, when you raise very, when you raise a hundred million dollars, it's like, I mean, that's, in, which is what it is today. It's incredible. Yeah. But I do, you know, I, the downside to that is if, if nothing comes of it, then it hurts, I think, future funding of other it's art true. projects. It's true. Yeah. I mean, I, the art market is notoriously a very difficult space. Yeah. Um, it's very resistant to change, very resistant to outsiders, very resistant to technology. Um, it is super insular and exclusionary and exclusive Mm -hmm. and um you know it it kind of is just like we're doing just fine thank you very much like yeah meanwhile they're they're all in their corner like oh my gosh what are we gonna do no i you know i look at i mean the project that you talked about um i guess yeah it was it was micro and um you know i think about like education also like the and yeah. sort of teaching people to draw and like a more applied forms of, of art and, and how um, I think there's areas there that like get people intrigued. Um, I think going to people. So like Instagram I mentioned is like, I feel like that's kind of going to the audience and micro yeah. is like going to answer you let people engage passively with the arts um, is, is what I'm excited about because I think that's what it's going to take to get people interested, I- interested and intrigued. I think so there's... I agree with you. I agree with you, but okay, t- yeah, good, but. Th- good. Let's give me a big but. So I have worked in education departments at museums. I'm very education minded. I really want to bring art to the masses. I want to uh, make it accessible to people. I want uh, people to feel like this is something that they can uh, enjoy and that it's not, you know, uh, 
threatening or obscure or whatever people feel about art that, you know, may, maybe uh, makes it intimidating for them. Um, however, you know, we are seeing this phenomenon of, you know, the uh, art-like experience mm-hmm. thing, uh, whether it's something like Museum of Ice Cream or 29 Rooms um, or, you know, in the art world, uh, things like the Yoyoi Kusama Infinity Rooms or the Rain Room by Random International often get cited as these um, spectacle-driven, you know, sort of uh, experiences that are designed for Instagram. Uh, They draw in huge amounts of audiences that may not typically go to art museums. um, But those audiences have oftentimes a very superficial engagement with whatever it is that they're seeing. And in the cases of Museum of Ice Cream and 29 Rooms, that whole experience is superficial in and of itself. Any of it, yeah. Very so, dis- disappointing from my yeah. perspective, but yeah. So I, you know, you know, and, and then you see things like Meow Wolf, which I'm like really fascinated by, which again is this like artist-led artist run um collective like art institution out in uh new mexico yeah it's in santa fe but whatever um and uh you know again it has these like immersive experiences like to me that's a little bit more authentic because it's designed by artists um and it's constantly changing and they employ i think a hundred artists um in that facility. So that is, I think, I want to bring art to the masses. I am all for these awe-inspiring experiences. You know, hell, I've been doing things exactly like this with blinking lights and, you know, projection mapping and you wave your arms and something happens. Like, that is exactly, you know, the type of shit that, people uh now criticize and rightfully so but it needs to have a message it needs to have substance it needs to allow you to go deeper Mm -hmm. it can't just be that you wave your arms and something lights up and you snap a photo and you move on with your day like it needs to make you stop and think or feel or you know pause and reflect you know to to uh engage more than just your camera filter. Yeah. I mean, and, and I, I agree with that. Um, but I do think, I mean, these fun entry points and easy. I mean, the other one that was superficial was this Google, uh, the Google Arts and Culture app where you could do a selfie that matched you to this, you know, classics piece. But I mean, it was amazing in that so many people were doing it. And then I feel like people actually were like learning, like, oh my gosh, who is this? Like, okay, I got matched. Like, where's this piece? Like, who is this artist? And, you know, again, it probably wasn't as deep as you'd want to be, but it was it was a step. And I think, I mean, in the art space, it's it's there's not a range of of taste. There's not allowed to be this kind of like range. I mean, look at music, for example. Like we all have the people who maybe like yourself, like went to the opera since they were eight years old and like have a very refined taste and listen to like jazz music and like, you know, cite every instrument in there. Right. But then there's also 
but a lot of those people, but there's also people who listen to like Justin Bieber, but there are people who kind of go from like Justin Bieber to Justin Timberlake to, I don't know who like steps in between and then eventually get into like jazz, right? There's like, there is a progression. And I think in the art space, there's not space to like find fun folk art that's kind of kitschy maybe, but then can kind of get you into being interested and intrigued and, and like the 12, like 12 steps to sort of, you know, yeah. un understanding the art. So I, I do agree with you, but I think it's, you know, theoretically it's like, we need anything. We need the connection between the ice cream museum and the, and the, you know, MoMA museum. Sure. Um, but yeah, anyways, this is, this has been amazing. Are there, um, I don't know. How do we want to wrap this up? There's so much knowledge that you have. Are there other things, anything that you, you know, are uh, really passionate about right now or excited about that I haven't brought up? Uh, gosh. I mean, one, one a lot thing, of things. You had mentioned like, actually, oh, if, yeah. if I can uh, be permitted one shameless plug. No, of course. I was going to give you that plug at the end, but yeah, like you can go, we can okay. go, we can go there now. Um, so new ink, uh, the incubator program that I run in New York is uh, doing an open call right now. Um, so we're accepting applications. We do this every spring. Um, we uh, will be accepting applications until May 13th. Um, and you can find more information about that at our website, www.newinc.org. Um, and it's N-E-W-I-N-C. Uh, ink is in incubator or incorporated, not uh, the kind of ink, ink that you draw with. <laughs> yeah, and we'll 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 link to that in, in the show notes so people can easily find that. Yeah. So, oh, the sorry, one more thing. Yeah, please. <laughs> the other thing that I'm working on right now is um, as part of uh, one of the amazing partnerships with a. Uh, corporate entity that came up out of the blue and has been uh, amazingly successful and impactful uh, and I think is an example of a, a corporate partnership done right. Um, we've been running an artist residency out of uh, Bell Labs, which is this historic um, technology research institution in New Jersey. Uh, this is the place that invented the transistor. This is the place that invented the laser. This is the place that invented um, information theory um, and kind of like the birthplace of modern computing in a way. Um, so we, and they also have a long legacy of engaging with artists and working with artists that dates back to the 1960s uh, when one of their engineers or two of their engineers actually, Billy Kluver uh, and Fred Waldhauer teamed up with two artists, Robert Rauschenberg, who you may know, and Robert Whitman wow. um, to found this uh, program called Experiments in Art and Technology where they would pair artists and technologists for collaborations. So I have not been leading this field. They led this field in the 1960s. This has been going on for a very long time, much longer than most people realize. Um, anyway, so we have been running this artist residency program at Bell Labs um, this past year. Uh, we've had three artists in residence uh, in their uh, facilities, um, working with some of their uh, engineers, and we're about to present uh, three new projects that 
have come out of this residency. Wow. Um, we're super excited. Um, they're going to be presented uh, in this uh, amazing uh, art space in Jersey City called Mana Contemporary. And they'll be uh, on view from April 29th through June 3rd. So if you're in the New York City area, um, would love to have you come out. We're going to have a big opening day on April 29th, um, and we're going to be hosting a symposium about um, collaborations in art and technology uh, on May 12th. So look out for that. Great. We'll link to that as well. Cool. Amazing. All right. Before I let you go, I have to do it. We have to do a rapid fire. Oh, God. Okay. You ready for it? (laughs) All right. Favorite application of AR VR right now? Uh, Demoda, the Digital Museum of uh, Digital Art. (laughs) Great. Best New York pizza? Oh, gosh. Um, Prince Street Pizza. All right. Prince Street. Get the pepperoni square. That's the one. That's the one. You heard it here. Okay. Favorite part of living and working in New York? Uh, That no matter how weird or niche your interests are, you will find your tribe of weirdos here. Um, New York to me is like the pre-internet version of the internet where like everyone can find their, you know, their kindred spirits um, because it is just full of so many different types of people from all walks of life and, and everywhere in the world that you can imagine. Amazing. Okay. Last one. If you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? To uh, teleport because most of the time I wish I could be in multiple places at the same time. And I love traveling, but I hate like flying, like being cooped up in like cramped spaces is like my nightmare. So I wish I could just be there. Be there. I, I want to teleport too, but I love airports and airplanes. I feel it's like the one place I can get away from things until Wi-Fi came into to airplanes. Anyways, <laughs> Julia, this has been too much fun. Like yeah, we, ha- we have learned really so much. I feel like we could have you back for five, uh, five episodes. But again, <laughs> thank you. And uh, yeah, have a great day. Enjoy the weather in New York. My pleasure. Thank you, Ethan. Thanks for listening to State of the Art. Be sure to follow New Inc. on Twitter and Instagram at New Inc. That's N-E-W-I-N-C. And if you're interested in applying to join New Inc.'s creative entrepreneurship program, check out newinc.org backslash apply. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. And next week, tune in for our conversation with Hadi El Debeck founder of Grandpa, a global platform that aims to connect creators and organizations with grants worldwide. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review it. Leaving a review is super easy and it helps listeners like you discover the podcast. Oh yeah. And don't forget to check us out at State of the Art on Twitter for behind the scenes photos, a sneak peek to next week's episode and really cool art videos you're going to want to show your friends. Until next week, this is your host, Ethan Appleby, signing off from State of the Art.